Well, please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. As you're aware, there's, there's a huge difference between a business letter and a love letter. Uh, a business letter uh, perhaps begins, Dear Sir, or To Whom It May Concern, or In Regards to Our Correspondence of the 14th. Uh, Philippians isn't a business letter, it's a, it's a love letter. Uh, fewer to begin a love letter to whom it may concern. Uh, I'm guessing that it probably wouldn't bless uh, the person who received it. If you're single and you do that, you're going to remain single. Uh, if you're married, the chances of divorce uh, escalate considerably. Uh, but Philippians isn't a business letter. It, it's a love letter. It isn't a, it isn't a letter from a professional apostle writing to a member church. It isn't a form letter from the St. Paul Evangelistic Association. Uh, it is a letter from uh, a man who deeply loves this church to a church that deeply loves him. So we're going to read this morning Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, the word of the Lord. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all of the affection of Christ Jesus. So what we find here in Paul's introduction to the Philippians, we find Paul imprisoned in Rome. And as he is imprisoned in Rome, he's thinking about this church. He's thinking about the Philippians. And as he's thinking about the, the Philippians, his, his thoughts, it's, his remembrance turns to him uh, to them, and, and as it does so, uh, thanksgiving rises in Paul's heart for this church. Uh, joy rises in Paul's heart for this church. Jo uh, the, the, the epistle of, of Philippians just bleeds uh, with joy. 14 times in 104 verses, Paul talks about joy uh, or rejoicing. So thanksgiving rises in his heart. Uh, joy rises in his heart. Affection rises in his heart. Did you note verse 7? I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And all of those things, as he thinks of those things, as he's thankful and joyful and affectionate, his remembrance also causes confidence to rise in his heart. And so we, we need to ask today, I want to ask today, what was it about the Philippians that caused such thanksgiving, such joy, such affection, and such confidence 
to rise in Paul's heart. And this is what I would propose. Uh, This is what I would understand is that Paul was thankful and joyful and full of affection and confident because of their partnership in the gospel, their partnership in the gospel, which was created by and sustained by the sovereign work of God. All of these things, all of his thanksgiving, all of his joy, all of his affection, all of his confidence had its root in the fact that they were partners together in gospel ministry, in gospel mission. And that gospel mission, that partnership was was created by God, it was sustained by God, and it's what enabled Paul to think about this church in Philippi and to respond to this church in the way he did. So just two simple points uh, and then uh, a, a bit of application. Their partnership in the gospel and then secondly, a partnership that was created and sustained by a sovereign work of God. But before we begin, let's, let's pray. Well, Jesus, you're, you're about building your church and uh, we're so grateful that we're able to have a record uh, in the book of Acts and here in Philippians about how you built this particular church, how you, how you sent a man to build this church and, and, and how this church and this man just knit their hearts together for gospel ministry. And Father, we're aware that uh, the same thing is true uh, here in Clarksburg, Maryland that uh, you're building this church and, and you're moving this church forward. And so, Father, help us today to um, be reminded of the work that you have done historically in the Philippians and the work that you're doing here and that our gratitude and that our joy and that our affection and that our confidence would rise. Father, we need your grace and help to that end. So I do pray help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, first point, it really comes from verse 5, their partnership in the gospel. Uh, Paul showed up in Philippi, the first church in Europe. He showed up in Philippi on a mission. And that mission was to, to preach the gospel, uh, the good news of what Jesus Christ had done through his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension uh, to save sinners like you and I, to preach the gospel and then to see people converted and then to see those people mature in the context of a local church and to see that church then uh, continue in that gospel mission to see people converted and to see people matured as Paul would move on to another place and do the very same thing, uh, plant a church where, where people would be converted and people would be matured and, and a local church would raise up in that place. And, and that mission, that goal that Paul had was realized in, in Philippi. Uh, Lydia, if you remember the story, Paul went out to a place of prayer by a river and this woman, uh, Lydia, became the first convert uh, in Europe. And so Lydia and her household were converted. And then later on, as Paul was in jail there singing hymns at night and God opens up the doors through an earthquake, this jailer and his household were converted and many other people were converted and a church was planted in this city. And it was a church that that shared a heartbeat 
with Paul for mission. It was a church that shared a passion with Paul for mission. They were, in the very best sense and in a very real sense, partners in the gospel with Paul on this great gospel mission. And actually, this word partners in in Philippians is a word that actually means or can be translated fellowship. It was fellowship in the gospel. Uh, D.A. Carson defines the word this way. The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared mission. Their partnership was all about a self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision, a shared mission. And what was that vision? Well, the vision, as Gordon Fee uh, says it, the singular passion of Paul's life was that the gospel would be preached and the churches would be planted. And so from the moment that Jesus knocks Paul off his horse on the road to Damascus and called him to be a minister of the gospel. From that moment on in Paul's life, there was one passion. There was one thing in his life that became of transcendent importance to him, that in preaching the gospel, people would be converted. That in preaching the gospel, people would mature. They would grow up to become more like Christ. And in preaching the gospel, that more and more churches would be planted. And for Paul, there was a great deal of self-sacrifice that was involved in seeing that mission fulfilled. We read later on uh, in Philippians in chapter 3, Paul talks about the fact that uh, as a young Jewish boy growing up, everything that he had hoped for, everything that he had had dreamed of, he actually accomplished. He became a Pharisee. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul was, Paul would have been in that time in People Magazine, one of the the, the 50 most beautiful people in, in the world. He had arrived. How many people, everything they hoped for, everything they dream about as a kid, it actually comes to pass. Well, it, it came to pass for Paul. He had arrived in everything he'd hoped for, everything he dreamed for, but then he sacrifices. He gives it all up because he found something, or more, more accurately, someone that was greater than that. He, 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 he said, uh, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he, he, he sacrificed his life streams. Uh, we see that Paul's life was a life of sacrifice. We read in other places of the hardships that Paul had to experience uh, in order to uh, fulfill this mission, this vision, this passion uh, that he had. And so, you know, we read this list, shipwrecks and beatings and hunger and thirst and in danger from robbers and sleepless and in danger at night and, and in danger of the day. And now uh, Paul's in prison because of the defense and confirmation of the gospel. But for Paul, all of that sacrifice was worth it especially as he sits in prison and he remembers that there is a church in Philippi who shares that vision with him, who shares that passion with him. Uh, Think of of a father, maybe an immigrant who comes to the country and he builds a business and, and his greatest 
his greatest joy, his greatest hope in life is that his son would come along beside him. And so it would no longer be Malament, uh, whatever, but it would be Malament and Sons uh, business that was being built together. That, that's, the, that's the joy, the affection, the gratitude that Paul feels in his heart. Uh, a church in Philippi that because they shared Paul's experience of saving grace also shared with him this vision. And because they shared the experience of saving grace and shared with him this vision, they also share a willingness to sacrifice for that vision. Not only sacrifice locally, but sacrifice extra locally and support Paul in his ongoing ministry. So we read in the, in the book of Philippians that uh, they, they sent an offering to Paul and they sent a man, uh, uh, Epaphroditus, uh, to support Paul while he was in prison. I never knew this before, but if you were in Roman prison, they wouldn't even feed you. So you had to raise your own support in prison. And if, and if, if there was no money coming into you or nobody to help you, you would just starve to death uh, in prison. So not only did you go to prison, but um, you, you had to pay for your own food and room and board uh, as it will. And they shared with him in that. Later, we find that the Philippians uh, happily and joyfully were the first ones to say, hey, our brothers in Jerusalem, we don't even know them, but they're experiencing famine and they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we want to be the first to join in together uh, in, in sending an offering to them. And, and this wasn't a rich church. These were, these were poor people, uh, but their heart was, was, was for the gospel. And so we recognize that not everyone is called like Paul to go to the ends of the earth, but all of us are called, all of us can participate in that mission to the ends of the earth, just like the Philippians do. And the other thing we need to note here is that their partnership wasn't just in the good times, but their partnership was in the troubled times as well. Uh, it's, it's easy to partner when everything is going well, isn't it? Uh, for, you, for you all that are married, you recognize marriage is a snap when everything's going well, when everything's happy and there's no conflicts and, and uh, your wife is making you good dinners and your husband's taking out the trash. Uh, man, marriage, this is, this, is the, this is great. It's easy to partner in those situations. But it's not so easy when there's trouble, is it? Paul's, Paul's in prison. And the Philippians themselves are actually facing opposition because of the gospel. Paul notes that they are partakers with me in the grace and the confirmation of the gospel. Partakers is actually from the same root word as partners in, in verse 5. So they were experiencing some of the same things that Paul was experiencing here. But, but, they, but they stuck with it. The Philippians weren't fair-weather friends. Um, it would have been so tempting to lay low, wouldn't it? You know, Paul's in prison. Uh, let's, let's just lay low for a while, see how the Roman government responds to all of this. Um, and then maybe we can decide, you know, what the partnership will look like and how we'll continue uh, with that. They, they didn't do that. They were loyal. Uh, they stuck with him, stuck with the gospel through thick and thin they shared a vision with Paul that made the sacrifices worth it. And when Paul remembers that, when he remembers this church, he is full of gratitude. 
He is full of joy. He is full of affection. But I actually believe there is, there's something more foundational here that causes him to be full of gratitude and full of joy and full of affection because he realizes that this partnership, this fellowship that they share together, he and the Philippian church, he realizes that that partnership in the past, in the present, but also in the future was created by and is going to be sustained by God's sovereign work. Did you notice verse 6, a familiar verse? I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So from the day out by the river that Lydia was converted and the church began meeting in her home to the day that Paul writes this letter 10 years later, Paul has seen this unbroken partnership in in the past and in the present. But here's the question. What about the future? What about the future? How could Paul know that this partnership was going to continue in the future? What, What if something went wrong? And uh, there, there were circumstances that, that arose. How could he be sure that their partnership would continue? And yet Paul writes in verse 6, I am sure of this. I am sure of this. There is no doubt in Paul's mind. He cannot conceive of a factor that would interpose itself to change the outcome of this partnership. You know, we all like to hedge our bets a little bit, don't we? Uh, let's, let's not be too positive. So if you tell the kids we're going to Disneyland, well, kids, we're probably going to go to Disneyland. Uh, but, you know, there's things that could happen. Um, but, but Paul doesn't do that, doesn't he? He doesn't say, Philippians, I am 90% sure that the good work that was began is going to continue. He, did, he didn't say, you know, Philippians, uh, I'm almost positive that the good work that God began in you, that he is going to continue. Paul is sure. And because Paul is sure, he wants the Philippians to be sure as well. So what is it that Paul is so sure of? What is it that gives Paul such confidence? Well, I believe it's two things. First of all, he is sure that it was God who began the work in them. He is sure of that. There is simply no other answer for what transpired in Philippi then God began this good work in them. There is no other answer for the vision that Paul had to go to Europe, to go to Macedonia. If you remember the story from the book of Acts, Paul had no intention of going to Philippi. He had no intention of going to Europe. He actually wanted to go to various places in Asia Minor, and and you just sense the frustration in the story in Acts chapter 14, where Paul says, I want to go here, and then the Spirit won't let me, and I want to go here, but the Spirit won't let me, and you kind of get this sense of Paul throwing up his hands and saying, where am I to go then? I want to preach the gospel. I have, I have this passion to preach the gospel where it's never been preached before. And uh, one night, 
He has this vision of this man from Macedonia calling him and saying, Paul, come over here and, and preach the gospel uh, to us. There's, there's no other explanation other than God's work for that vision. Uh, there's no other explanation for Lydia's conversion and the conversion of her household. There's no other explanation for the conversion of this jailer. You remember the story. He went from suicide to salvation in the blink of an eye. Uh, there's no other explanation for that except God was at work. There's no other explanation for the existence of this church. There's no other explanation for the existence of this partnership. The only possible answer to why this exists is God began a sovereign work in them. And note that that sovereign work was both personal and it was corporate. God began a sovereign work in individuals. His free electing grace had its effect on Lydia. His free electing grace had its effect on the jailer. His free electing grace had its effect on many others. In fact, if you're a Christian here today, uh, you need to realize you didn't just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think, I think I'm going to become a Christian. I think I'm going to start following God. His grace had an effect on you. And likewise, his grace had an effect as this church began to grow and mature. And his grace has an effect on you as you continue to grow and mature. So God had begun a good work in this church made up of individuals and then brought them together as a corporate entity uh, to be a church. There is no other explanation for what transpired there than God had begun a good work in them. Paul is sure of that. But he's also sure of something else. He's sure of this, that God is going to sustain, complete the good work that he began in them. Because Paul is able to look back and see these evidences of God's work, see these evidences of God's grace in them, both personally and corporately, he can be sure that God is going to sustain that work because God always completes the work that he began. He always finishes what he starts because he is faithful. And there is no such thing as being partially faithful. There is no such thing as being sometimes faithful. Actually, there is a word for sometimes faithful. It's called unfaithful. God is faithful. And because Paul recognizes that God began the work, he is confident that Paul will complete uh, the work. In fact, not only complete the work, not only sustain the work, but bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, the word completion here means evermore putting the finishing touches to it. God will evermore be putting the finishing touches to the work that he began. Uh, later on in the book of Philippians, uh, Paul notes that the Philippians came out of a crooked and twisted generation. Uh, the Philippians, like every generation, uh, were crooked and they were, they were, they were twisted. What, what they were formerly a part of wasn't straight. And God is, is constantly at work in these individuals and constantly at work in changes to get out the, the twists and get out the kinks and get out the knots to make individuals and churches straight. 
Uh, do any of you fly fish? Okay, this illustration will take some explanation then. <laughs> um, do, <laughs> do any of you fish? Ever, anybody ever fished? Okay, good. Okay, in, in regular fishing, for lack of a better term, you have a heavy lure at the end of your line, and what causes your line to cast where you want it to go is that heavy lure at the end of the line. Well, fly fishing is, is different. The fly at the end of your line is light, almost weightless. So if I were to put one in your hand, you, you wouldn't even notice that there was anything in your hand. And so what causes you to be able to cast that lure to the fish is actually the weight of the fly line, not the weight of the lure. You all tracking with me? Okay, very good. Um, and then, so between the fly and between the heavy fly line is what's called a, a leader. It's like a fishing line that you, that you would know. Well, the, the motion of fly fishing is kind of a back and forth, back and forth. And um, there's, there's just incredible potential to get your leader knotted up and fouled up if, if your casting isn't smooth. And so the, the line begins to flip over itself and, and turn in the air. And I, I, I can't even begin to explain some of the messes that you end up with in fly fishing where, where you're looking at this, this, these knots and these tangles and you think, how in the world could this possibly happen and, and you want, you're eager to get back fishing and, and so you try to untie it and it's just, this is hopeless and you just end up cutting it off and throwing the leader away and putting a new, uh, a new leader on there. But God never does that. God always patiently straightens out what is twisted and what is crooked, unties all all of the knots to see things become uh, straight. To see things become straight, not only in time, but verse 6 says that the day of Christ Jesus. It's interesting that Paul's horizon here isn't just what's right in front of him. It's not next week or next month or, or even next year. Uh, his, his horizon isn't even actually at the end of someone's life or the end of, of the time that any individual church might exist on this earth. God's work is, is not actually completed at that point. One phase of the work is completed, the sanctification phase, but there's, there's still a, a glory phase that is to be completed. And that's the day that Paul sees here when he says that God is going to bring to completion the good work that he began. He, he sees beyond the horizon of tomorrow. He sees beyond the horizon of the end of life. And, and, and he sees all the way to that time when all twists, all kinks, all knots will be gone and all will be straight. It's, it's the day that he anticipates here. He sees it. Uh, Jane and I uh, live in a, in a small 1,500 uh, square foot rambler, brick rambler in Charlotte on a couple acres. Uh, when we first moved to Charlotte, we, uh, we thought, well, we're going to be real busy, and so we bought a new house. But uh, we didn't ever think that would be our, our final house. And I remember, I, I don't know why, but from the time I was a teenager, uh, I, had this, I just had this vision in my mind of the kind of house I wanted to live in. And uh, it, was, it was this uh, a brick rambler kind of house. 
And so one day, Jane and I started talking about, you know, maybe it's time to move. And so we said, let's just get in the car and drive around Charlotte and, and see what's out there. And uh, Charlotte's a, li- a little bit like this. There's still a lot of country uh, left out there. So we, we spent a morning driving around, and uh, we didn't see anything that just, you know, fit the billing. And then we just said, oh, let's turn down this road. And so we turned down this one particular road, and as we went down, there was this uh, sign for sale by owner. And as I looked over to my right, I saw this house, and I thought, that's it. That's, that's the house that I've always seen since I was a teenager. And so we, we made an appointment to go in, and we went inside. It was an absolute wreck. I mean, <laughs> the house was just, the windows were old. It was drafty. Uh, the, the, uh, the cabinets, the bathrooms, uh, it was a wreck. The carpets were just a mess. And uh, well, we think, well, the outside fit the vision, but <laughs> the inside, not, not so much. But we thought, you know what? I, I believe this is, this is God's house. And, and by God's grace, uh, we were able to put in hardwood floors and put in new windows and put in new bathrooms and put in a new kitchen. And now, uh, you'd probably look at the house and you'd say, Poof. But to Jane and I, it's the Taj Mahal. Uh, we, we, just, we just couldn't live uh, in a better place. But, but that's not what it looked like when we first moved in. But we saw it. We, we saw something beyond what it was. And, and we were encouraged that, that it could become that. God sees it. He sees what he's going to make of you. He sees what he's going to make of of his church. And so that on the day of Christ Jesus, the day that Christ will both judge and reward, crown his own achievements, that's the day that, that, that Paul is looking to hear. It's going to be the day when you hear, well done, Christian going to be the day when you hear, well done, Grace Church of Clarksville, Berg. <laughs> thanks, thanks. For, if, it's, if it's Clarksville, then you missed your turn because Clarksburg comes before Clarksville, so <laughs> alphabetical order. Um, it's the day where you hear the Savior say, thanks for your partnership in the gospel where you hear him say, thanks for the sacrifices. Where you hear him say, thanks, thanks for enduring the hard times together. Thanks for uh, your loyalty. On that day, I am sure that there's going to be two things that are going to occur. One is going to be this, that we will all be full of gratitude and full of joy and full of affection for what the Father and Jesus have done for us. I am sure of that. There's another thing that I am sure of. I am sure that none of you will regret any sacrifice or any hardship that you had to endure, either personally or corporately, for the sake of the gospel. On that day, there is going to be not one single person who stands before the Lord and says, I I wish I'd witnessed less. I wish I had given less. I wish I'd served less. I wish I'd cared less. 
I wish I'd been less loyal. I've been less faithful. I am sure of that. And when Paul remembers all of this, when he not only remembers the partnership, but he remembers that day, when he sees that day, when he looks forward to that day, well, it is no wonder that he is full of gratitude, that he is full of joy, that he is full of affection, and that he is full of confidence. Now, what about us? What, 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 about, what about us? Well, I actually believe from the bottom of my heart that God wants Paul's experience to be all of ours experience. That we would, in an ongoing way, like Paul, be thankful and, and joyful and full of affection and confident because of your, as the local church's partnership in the gospel and because of us in Sovereign Grace Ministry, our partnership uh, in uh, the gospel that was created and sustained by God's sovereign work in you and by God's sovereign work in us. And so let me, let me just close. Let me just take a couple minutes to remind you of that partnership. And let me take a couple minutes to thank you for that partnership. This, this church is not that old. Uh, September 6th of last year, so you're not even at one year, you began meeting on Friday nights together. And then uh, just last January, January 5th, you began meeting on Sunday mornings. Uh, so less than a year as a church, but a lot of you have been around. A lot of you have been friends for, for a long time. Uh, there's, there's a lot of history here for a brand new church. And your mission together, what Larry keeps preaching to you, is that we want to grow as disciples and we want to make new disciples. Uh, that, that was, that, that's gospel mission. It, it reflects in this church a single-minded passion that you share with Paul to see the gospel preached right here, uh, to see people converted right here, to see people mature in the context of this particular local church. It's why you do Sunday mornings the way you do. It's why you do small groups the way you do. It's why you sacrifice the way you do. One of the things I love most about my friend Larry is just his heart for the gospel and his heart for evangelism. And uh, he's, been, he's been on so many international trips. I was asking him this morning, he can't even remember how many they were. I can remember. I've been on three. Larry's like 60 plus. I don't remember. I can't even remember uh, anymore. Just in, in getting to talk to Larry, uh, both on the phone you know, kind of regularly and while I'm up here, just how, how the joy that he experiences and the gratitude that he experiences in seeing you all grow and, and, and change and mature and, and seeing you uh, just begin as a church to come together and you're serving one another and you're caring for one another and, and, you're, and you're beginning to figure out how we can reach out to our community and how can we, can, we can serve our, our community. Uh, a lot of gospel ministry has already gone on here, but there's a lot more gospel ministry that's going to go on here uh, in the future. And then just the joy we have to be a part of Sovereign Grace Ministries together. So uh, Larry hasn't told you this, but just recently they voted uh, to, uh, to start a new region, a mid-Atlantic region with six churches. I think they're all within an hour of each other. So just five other churches that you're going to be able to partner with uh, particularly closely uh, to reach this mid-Atlantic Virginia area. One of the things I'm most excited about is one of those churches is Solid Rock Church. Uh, it was the first Christian church that I was ever a part of. 
the first Christian church that I ever uh, pastored left in 1996. But, you know, my heart never left those, those people and that church. And, and to see John over there now and to see that church prospering, uh, it's, it's just a great joy. Uh, one of the things I'm most excited about in Sovereign Grace is, is we're looking to expand our vision for, for international mission. Uh, I think uh, Sovereign Grace's international vision hasn't been wrong by, by any sense of the imagination. It's been a good vision. But from my perspective, I think it's been limited. And I think God wants to grow our vision. He wants to expand our vision uh, for what we might be able to do to, to reach the nations uh, with the gospel. And, and, and so I'm so excited about that. So thank you all. Thank you for your support for Sovereign Grace Ministries. Thank you. Thank you for your giving over the years to Sovereign Grace Ministries. These things would not have happened without you. These things would not have happened without your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. God has truly begun a good work in this church, and he is going to continue a good work in this church. The evidences are all around us. He's going to complete the work. And what a comfort it is to know that. He's going to complete the work in you. He's going to complete the work in this church. What a, what a comfort, what confidence. You know, we all wonder at times, don't we? Will I make it to the end? We all wonder at times as, as a church, um, will we make it? to the end. Sometimes progress seems really, really slow. Sometimes it actually seems like we're going backwards. But here's the good news. Our confidence isn't in our circumstances. Our confidence isn't in what we see. It's in a God who, having begun a good work in each and every one of you, it's in a God who, having begun a good work in this church, will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus.